0: My name is Fritzie Horstman, and welcome to Compassion in Action. Today is part two of my conversation with Jarvis J. Masters, who lives on death row at San Quentin Prison in California. Jarvis is an example of the transformation we all aspire to, not only for the men and women living in prison, but for all of us. In this interview, Jarvis shows us what compassion is, what it means to think of others instead of himself, which by the way is the definition of pro-social behavior, one of the key elements the parole board in California is expecting of the people they return to society. He is accountable, he's a deep thinker and a thoughtful man. In this interview, we talk about the scars of childhood that he remembers and that he sees in the other men he lives with. He talks about the daily reality of death living on death row, how other people are put in the position of whether you should live or die. We talk about how we saved a man's life on death row. And in the short time we spoke, I got to see what is possible for all of us. Growth and transformation, no matter what our circumstances. It is an honor and a privilege to spend time with the extraordinary man, Jarvis J. Masters. Jarvis J. Masters was born in Long Beach, California in 1962. He is a widely published African-American Buddhist writer and the author of That Bird Has My Wings, the autobiography of an innocent man on death row, which is the latest pick for Oprah's book club. His poem, Recipe for Prison Pruno, won the Penn Award in 1992. He has kept an active correspondence with teachers and students across the country for two decades and his work continues to be studied in classrooms in both grade schools and colleges. Since taking formal refuge vows with H.E. Chagdud Tulku Rinpoche in 1991, Jarvis has also been guided by Venerable Pima Chodron, with whom he shares an enduring friendship. In 2020, he became the subject of a podcast series, Dear Governor, as well as a new biography, The Buddhist on Death Row, How One Man Found Light in the Darkest Place by David Sheff. Originally sent to San Quentin Prison in 1981 for armed robbery, Jarvis was convicted of conspiracy to murder a prison guard in 1985 and sentenced to death in 1990. He was placed in solitary confinement and endured there for 21 years from 1985 to 2007. Jarvis exhausted his state appeals in 2019, and his case is currently in the federal courts. And now, part two of my interview with Jarvis J. Masters.
1: Okay, we're back. We're back. We're back. Okay, so can we get into what shifted in you to make you decide to follow Buddhism? What was that shift like?
2: Well, at first I was trying to find out, you know, what what trauma was. Using your, you know, using that, using that word. What trauma was? What was it that affected my life? How was it that I was able to identify all those scars that day out there on the yard? You mm. know. Mhm. And you know, what does that have to do with how I treat myself? You know. And what responsibilities do I give myself? You know, the right to, to look at my, my path and judge that or make judgments about that. Uh, so it was all about that. Who, what, 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 what is a man, you know, uh, and what is the responsibilities of, 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 of a man, you know, where's our masculinity at, you know, um, all those things, you know, it was just tons of things like that, you know, because, you know, in prison, we, you know, So much of our violent behavior is based on manhood, you know, I'm not going to let no one do that to me because I'm a man and you're disrespecting me, you know. So redefining what that word was and how that word has so much influence over me, both good and bad, was something that I wanted to get into, you know, and especially being charged for something I did not do on death row. You know, what's going on? You know, um, how did this happen? You know, so that's what I was into at first, you know, and then there was that one book that I was sitting in a, you know, I was sitting way down there in some holding cell in a, in a court building and there were people trying to decide whether this guy should die or, you know, live, you know. And it was just so painful for people to sit there and try to decide whether you should live or die. Yes. Uh, I never felt that before. I mean, you're talking about people raising their hands to decide, you know, whether you should live or die. Wow. You know, do people really do that? You know, uh, and that was one of the things that just I felt, you know, like I was a sponge to try to understand what does this to people to do that, you know. And then I get this book. There's, you know, Millie the a very good friend of mine, and, and someone who, you know, mentored me in many, many ways, um, gave me this magazine, and it says this free book, you know, it said Life and Relationship to Death, you know, and, you know. It's not like there's this miracle thing that comes up and you read this magazine, your whole life changed, and now you're Buddhist or anything like that. No, it was just like, I want to get a copy of this book. You know, I'm, I'm curious about what this is. It's free too? Yes. It's worth the post stamp. I'm getting this. Um, and when it got, when I, when it arrived, you know, it just felt really, really safe to, uh, to sit with, you know. It wasn't trying to, you know, uh, turned me on to Buddhism in a way where I thought it was. It was just a continuum of what work I was already doing. And when I started writing to the people who wrote the book, you know, that's when that shifted into me becoming someone who wanted to adopt a a spiritual practice, a Buddhist practice, you know, um, it's because I was already meditating, you know. Um, and that's how I became a Buddhist, you know, uh, you know, it was just that transition, you know, it was really, really soft. It wasn't really powerful. It was just moving from one part of my life into another part of my life.
1: Um, it was the
2: same with my writing, you know.
1: Yes, you're right. Um, I took steps from extreme anger to the clarity of my Buddhist practice. And what is that practice? Just so we can get a a, a feeling of what happens every day in your in your life. Well,
2: it's a red tar practice, you know. Um long you know, I, I can go on and on about it, but it's basically a a practice that of understanding compassion and suffering, you know uh that particular practice is the is the practice of suffering and how we overcome our suffering. Uh this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. How do we apply compassion to our lives, how we give that to ourselves so we can be confident that we can share that with other people. Um so it's meditation practice, it's mantras, is is sitting, is prayer, you know, it's It's a very deep, um, station in my life where I really feel safe at, you know, um, for good reasons and for bad reasons, I feel safe. You know, it's not about being in a bad place or in a good place. It's a safe place for me to be. Um, and when you're living in a safe place where you're sitting in a safe place, bad is not as bad. Good is not as good, you know? Uh, you just have your practice of understanding both and how they're gonna relate to you you know today and tomorrow you
1: know. yes, that's called unity that's that's the extremes of our, the duality that we're living in start blending right what we perceive as bad is part of the lessons and good is part of the lessons and they are yes, and they actually in um in nonviolent communication, they talk about good and bad as being violent. So, good and
2: bad is, say that again.
1: Marshall Rosenberg says that good and bad is is violent because you're judging everything, and to judge is to to be violent. So, by by what you're just describing is you're creating a unified vision. Your the duality of your life is is starting to fade. And. So, I
2: mean- I I I'm not sure I, I I understand what he meant when he says this. But I, I I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure it says something for me to really really start to embrace would embrace but you know, when you are dealing with both opposites, you know, the good and the bad, the negative and the positive and all those the, just the body of opposites they 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 both make you who you are, you know uh they both share your life experiences, both the good and the bad, you know, and to be able to sit understanding what both of those opposite does to you as a human being is to how do I make this be the benefit and how do I use these bad experiences and these good experiences, you know to be of benefit to other people. How do I use that? What did I use? To, how did I use this, this net to be of benefit to other people's lives? And when I'm meditating or when I'm sitting there, that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm not trying to weigh good. I'm not trying to weigh bad. You know, I'm just trying, how do I can do something good for someone else so I can with that reward of knowing that I, I'm capable of doing such a thing, you know. Um,
1: this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded.
2: Well, you know, my, but my understanding of Buddhism is that, you know, there's never something, you know, I don't look at bad as being bad or good as being good, you know. Um... I, I I look at them as shared experiences of you know shared experiences to life you know um, that's why I don't get hooked up in a lot of bad things that occurred in my life. I mean I don't really you know have no sense of real you know anger you know um, I don't I don't I don't you know I'm not so angry that I'm. I'm always accusing people of doing wrong to me. Uh, I don't, I, I don't live that way. You know, I just live with the idea that, you know, I, I know what violence looks like. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back to this, when you talk about the scars on the yard, um, you you say prison welcomes a man full of rage and violence, and when you were in the yard, you saw all these men who had the same scars that you had from childhood. And can you talk about that for a moment?
2: Yeah, I mean here I am just going in my cell doing my practice, not you know kind of scared to let everybody know that I'm a Buddhist, you know, and not knowing how that response is gonna be, and you know just you're taking a responsibility when you do something like that, because now everyone's looking for your flaws. Everyone's looking for your mistakes and all that stuff. So, you know, so I'm doing my thing, you know, and then I go to the yard one day and just out of nowhere, I'm starting to notice all these people's scars, you know, and my scars are not like that. You know, my scars are burnt, you know, cigarette burns and stuff like that. But, Physically those physical scars. Uh mine's like cigarette burns, you know. And you know, people used we used to burn ourselves just to win prizes from people who supposed had been caring for us. Um mm-hmm. and I looked at that and I said, Wow, what the mm-hmm. f- is this? You know. And I just seen it was too many of us out there with that those same scars. It was almost like they were all in the same place, you know? It was on our shoulders, you know? It was on our backs, you know? Um, and they, they, they felt like they were in the same exact area of our bodies, and that was curious to me, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I just jammed everybody up. I said, man, you know, what's up with this? What's up with that? You know, and we all thought, we all celebrated these marks and these scars. And secretly, I wasn't celebrating them. I was, I was experiencing something else by them right there. Right there in that moment, I was experiencing something else by these scars. And I didn't know what, but I knew I was going to write about it. And I start accumulating information. We just start, you know, talking, shooting the breeze. And, and I realized how happy we were to just reminisce on these experiences we had as kids, being beaten almost to death. You know, how do we how do we reminisce in such a fond way about that? And why are we on death row? You know, uh, thinking that this is you know this didn't have no effect on why we were here, why we got in trouble, and all these things. So I started asking questions and. Scars were you know, and the story I wrote became scars, you know, and inside that inside that teeth, there's a lot of the, you know a lot of us just trying to realize
1: we have sixty seconds remaining
2: With these wounded how wounded we really were, you know, and I was you know, when I wrote the story i was I was worried about sharing that story with everybody because I took a story that was sort of personal with us in prison, you know, we don't like, you know what I mean, and putting it out there and, you know, publishing that in, in, in a very, very, you know, wide readership, you know, I didn't know how that was going to go off, you know, I didn't know how that was going to play itself out, you know, but I knew that someone needed to hear this story, you know. Right there? Yeah.
1: Yeah, someone needed yeah, to hear the story. Needed hear,
2: someone needed to hear this story. You know, uh, I realized when I told the story, everybody, you know, felt good because it was out of their own voices that they heard or they read from. You know,
1: when
2: when when the guys finally got a chance to read it, the, the published version of it, you know, um, they 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 really liked it. You know. Uh, they really, really liked it because they heard their own voices in the story, you know? Um, and that makes a big difference. I don't care what people say. When you read your own voice, when you hear your own voice speak to people, you know, you, 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 realize, you know, someone finally got it, you know, someone's going to get it the real way, you know, um,
1: yeah. And you've been seen, right? Which is the thing everyone in prison really needs desperately to be seen.
2: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: I'm going to read a, another passage that, uh, you begin, you begin the book with this and you end the book with this. And this is what you say. I want to leave my writing behind for when I am gone and the question of who I was enters people's minds. If I'm executed, there will be some who believe I deserved it, but those who want to try to make sense of it will see, through my writing, a human being who made mistakes. Maybe my writing will at least help them see me as someone who felt, loved, and cared, someone who wanted to know for himself who he was. My writing will hopefully show these people that they could easily have been me. when I read that, that just, that could easily have been me. That could easily have been anyone in society.
2: Yes. That is so true. And that is, I, I wish I could have said, you know, cause I wrote that book, you know, I, I wish, I wish I could have said that the way you just said it, you know, um, but you know, we evolve and we 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 learn to say things better. But what you just said is exactly what I, I what I wish I could have said. You know, um, it could be any, it could be any one of us.
1: Exactly, and and then we we judge someone, we put someone on the and we judge them without understanding that we're all vulnerable to the to violence, we're all vulnerable to being hit by a car and getting a traumatic brain injury and having our lives change in an instant. We're all vulnerable to it and yet we judge someone without the full depth of that, that consideration.
2: Yes. Yes, and that is you know <laughs> To me, you know that is that's, that's, that's just being a human being, I think you know I mean we don't give ourselves enough credit for not having a not having you know the ability to um, be flawed, you know um. I work with the issues in my life that I think that's going to that, that's gonna help me benefit other people, you know? And a lot of things I think about are not things that would work, you know? But at least I gave them thought. I gave them, you know, the idea that, you know, I had good intentions with this, you know? Um, if I know somebody's is going to be assaulted, for example, you know? Um my first response is, that's none of my business, whatever, that's just none of my business, you know. But my second response is, for what? You know, uh, and then I realized that's not a real question, for what? Why, you know, is there some justification? Are you saying, Jarvis, that there could be a justification for it? Is that why you say, for what? You know, um, I I think when I do, when I, when I, when I am, when I am aware of someone being assaulted, like in the book, there was a gay man that was going to be assaulted.
1: Exactly. Um,
2: I I didn't know how to react to that. You know, I didn't even know how I got there, you know? (laughs) Um, but I knew I, I stood for something, you know? Um, and it really scared the hell out of me afterwards, you know, because I just realized what I just did, you know? And every common sense says, you don't do that, you know? Um, but I did it anyway, and I'm glad that I did it. Um, but I'm not, uh, but I, I worry that it, you know, that because of your sexuality, your gender, whatever, um, you're prosecuted by that in prison. You're assaulted by that. You're stabbed and you're beaten because you're gay, you know? Um, and that's, and that is something for me that I have to deal with because it's just syphilis and it doesn't make sense and it hurts me, uh, that people are Victimized because of that, you know, because uh, that's something that I still have, I have to work at getting over, you know, because my first response is really getting angry about that. So that's I true. mean that experience with that day, that experience is—I don't even know how I got there. I really don't. I, it was just like, you know, I'm here defending something that that just scared me, you know, and it scared me because I thought, you know, that it was that. Buddhist stuff that's gonna get be killed, you know. And the funny thing about that in Buddhist the the whole my this is my take on Buddhism. I, I'm not so academically, you know, there to just, you know, give you scriptures and all that stuff. Um, you know, there you know, in Buddhism there's this real sense of reality that you are going to die. You know, you are, you will die, you know, embrace it, you know, embrace the time you have before that occurs, you know, but you will die. You know, and it is hard to talk about being on death row to a Buddhist community without them understanding, you know, you're going to die, you know, anyway, you know, so it's what you do with your life from that point of realization to now that gives your life matter. You talked about, you read a piece, uh, earlier about me wondering if I die, what what people would read from my writings, you know? Um, and it's all about what we want to give purpose for our lives. You know, what we want to give that purpose for, for, what's going on with that, you know? So, When I think about when I became a Buddhist, I knew, I didn't know, but I realized very quickly that dying was not, you know, dying was what their, dying is what their trip is, you know? You know, you know, dying is, you know, Buddhism is not the place you want to really think that you're going to get in a place where, you know, you can talk about being executed and that would be not your karma, you know? And I, and I always just believe that, you know, by, by, by understanding the nature of dying, death and living, that all I had between living and dying was what I do in between that, you know, and that's what's been my life. That's been my whole life, you know, accepting death as a, as a reality, you know, as a daily reality, as something that's not just, you know, it's going to happen, but you actually live day to day, understanding the nature of death and dying, you know. And there's certain urgency with that that says, you know what, you better, you better make peace with your father, you know, because he done all these things to you and you need to make peace with him because he's not going to be around long and you may not be around longer than he, but you need to make peace with that. How are you going to deal with that? You know, so when my father finally came to see me after 40 years or something, I can't remember, I mean, decades, you know. I held that thought of me and I held that vision of me being with my sibling, my sister, under the bed. You know, what?
1: This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded.
2: Why, this man was trying to break down the house into the room so he can kill us. And now he's sitting in the visitor room, you know, waiting for me to come out, you know? And. You know, I I had this thing with anger and I had this thing with, you know, wanting wanting my question is answered, you know. I had this thing with justified anger, you know. uh, And when I ended up going out there, I just said, you know, I'm so good. It's me. I, I actually told myself when I was sitting out there that I am so glad to be a Buddhist right now because at that moment I realized that whatever he was going to tell me about that didn't really matter. You know, you know, it really didn't matter because what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? If he says it did happen, what are you going to do? If he says it didn't happen, who are you going to, I mean, what are you going to do? I felt it was wasting my time. I thought at that point, I can just be his son and he can just be my father and we can find out what what what's going on with us now.
1: I have 60 seconds remaining.
2: And I never thought I would come to that reality that, you know, there, you know there's nothing going to come of it. What's going to happen, you know, whether he's right or I'm, I'm right, I'm four, four years old. What do I remember? What do I really see? What did I really see with that man's shoes, you know? Um, so... I went out there and I realized that, you know, this is not worth it. This guy doesn't have a long time to live. You know, just, you know, be with him and he be with you and move on, you know. Um, uh, they don't move on because you're scared to talk about something. Move on because there is no resolution to it there, you know. Um... Wow. Yeah, you know, I felt good because that was the answer that came from me and not from some prepared response, you know, it just came out of me, you know.
1: When you were talking about the gay man who you ran out into the yard and you basically stood in front of him, knowing someone is about to attack him, and you saved his life, and you were you said, you were questioning, you said, what do I stand for? And what I'm hearing is that you stand for life. You, Jarvis, on death row, you stand for life.
2: Yes. But see, I didn't know that then. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I didn't know that then, you know. Uh, I was just so glad that I was standing for something, you know. <laughs> um, and it was scary. It was a scary thing to do. And I don't even know how I got there, really. Um, but you know, like I said earlier, you know, you, you, you learn a lot about what goes on in your life and how that affected you from from your past, you know. And you become responsible for that knowledge, you know. And I've I, I've always felt like Whatever moves me is because I feel responsible to move that way, you know. Um, and that's what that's what alerts me. That's what you know uh, suggests that I do something or do not do something is to what benefit is going to help people. You know, it's my daily existence. You know,
1: you put yourself in harm's way to save someone's life. That's an indication of transformation. Um, it was inherent. It wasn't something you thought about. You just did it.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But you know what happens, though? You you go on for the rest of your life knowing that if you didn't do what you were doing, what you had done anyway. And that's like a koan, you know. It's like what would have happened if you would have known what you were really doing, you know. Um, uh, you have a gun tower up there with a rifle and you have this guy, these guys out here, you know, uh, what, you know, it, it, would you do that again? You know, that, that's the, that's the real question for Jarvis right there. Would you do it again? You know, and my answer is it has to happen and we'll see. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I'm not going to hold that one for a long time. I'm going to answer that one very, very. I'm going, I'm going to get past that question real fast. Um, but yeah, you know, it's. I, I've been, I've been able to learn a lot from you know being here, you know, and I'm glad that I did not just be here without learning something from people and learning something about myself. And I think that's the, that's the message you know, for me, um, that you don't need to be one place to learn everything you need to know about being who you are as a human being. There is no one place for that. Um, and I think that's the message, you know, you know, if you're here, then do something because you're here, you know, um, and that's yes. my motivation, you know.
1: Yes, you went from a terrible childhood and a challenging childhood um, to prison and then in prison to death row.
2: Yeah, I became a juvenile. I became a a warder. I was a ward of a court. I became a juvenile. I became a delinquent. I became all these words. I became all these words that I've been that I've been struggling to, you know, to to redefine, you know. Uh, Hey, he's here telling me I have to get off the phone, so I'm so glad I was able to talk to you for the amount of time I did. And I want to just thank you and and everybody for doing the work you guys are doing.
1: Thank you so much, Jarvis. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. All
2: right. All right. Thank you, too. All right.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. typical of prison,
0: our time was cut short. I'm recording this on October 3rd, 2022. It is my hope and prayer that the federal courts find Jarvis not guilty and release him. Our world will be a better place with Jarvis back in society and better without the state-sanctioned murder of another human being. Jarvis lives as a reminder of the triumph of the human spirit and we are all better knowing him. If you found value in this podcast and YouTube presentation, please like, share, and subscribe. And please visit our website at compassionprisonproject.org and donate, get involved, and please spread the word about Compassion Prison Project. Thank you so much for watching and listening.